Blog Talk Radio. Marshall, can we just talk about this for one second? You rescued her. You raised her. You're not protecting her now. You are holding her back. One. Don't you ever touch me again. Two. Don't you ever touch me again. Now, you have no idea who the hell I am or where I've come from, and I'm not about to tell you my whole life story. All I need to be to you and everybody on this dome is a fixed point. The last man standing. I do not need your sympathy or your admiration. All I need is your compliance and your fighting skills. And if I can't get that, then you can go back to the wall that I found you crawling on. Do I make myself clear? Yes, sir. Good. You're traveling to another radio show. A broadcast not only of sight and sound, but of mind, mind, a journey into the wondrous land whose boundaries are that of the imagination. imagination. That's the on-air sign up ahead. Your next stop, Afro-Nerd Radio. With your guides, Dee Bird, Captain Kirk, and on Grindhouse Saturdays, the uncanny Daryl D. And introducing West Coast correspondent, Miss Claire Linnae. Mind expansion engaged. We're back, live and full, full direct, fully direct, pardon me. The call-in number, 646-915-9620, 646-915-9620. This is Afro Nerd Radio's Grindhouse. And you know we have our podcast, Howling Commandos. Every week I'm always going to change it up, folks. Claire Lene, Darrell B., Captain Kirk, and yours truly, Debert. We have a lot to discuss. We have a little bit of a... Guess a post SDCC San Diego Con- Comic Con conversation post 2016 is still stuff that was coming out. We got to talk about the Great Wall, that debacle. I call that the IWM Impossible White Man film. <laughs> uh, not to disparage our white listeners, but there is a thing about those of a, of a lighter complexion always having the answer. Shout out to Matt Damon. 
So we're going to talk about that and just a whole lot of other things as well. So let's do what we always do. We always give you the best of Urban Alternative Groove. We've got to give that to you. This is Moody Man. I'm doing fine. The best of Urban Alternative. We'll be right back. Let's groove. fine and i am doing fine this is the grindhouse edition of afro nerd radio as powered by afro nerd radio but i could not do it i could not do it with any kind of effectiveness without this team uh first up we have captain kirk captain you're needed as always on the bridge let's get to it Coincidence. Let's hope Hillary Clinton's health holds up between now and the election. Coincidence. You didn't hear that from me. Let's go. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> All right. You know who this gentleman is, as always, full of knowledge, full of something. <laughs> but he is sorely needed on our team. 
He is the great, uncanny Daryl B. Netflix got me again, folks. I agree, Stranger Things is pretty good, but I also recommend for uh, your younger kids and everything like that, The Deep. Tom Taylor's animated thing, just go check it out. Multiracial family of ocean explorers. Great, great animated effort. Tom Taylor, I applaud you. All right. And also, your doppelganger, by way of the left coast, west coast, you know who this lady is. She's doing her thing. She's sorely needed. We've got to get her for her weekly roundup forthcoming. She is Claire Lene. Claire. Ebert. Hey. I like that bionic groove. Bionic woman. Uh, <laughs> what's <laughs> What's going on, girl? How you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you? Pretty well. Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, a lot to discuss this week. Every week there seems to be just more and more stuff just pouring out, Claire. So uh, I want to pass the mic to you right away. Let's get into this weekly roundup. And then we're going to get into the discourse. Tell us what you got. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's get started. Okay, so with casting news, a lot of it's stuff that we already kind of, you know, suspected or that's already been rumored. The movie version of The Flash has indeed found its Iris West, dope actress Kiersey Clemens. Brie Larson has officially been cast as Carol Danvers, a.k.a. Captain Marvel. The Walking Dead star Lenny James has been added to the cast of the Blade Runner sequel. Jessica Chastain joins Jake Gyllenhaal in the film adaptation of the video game The Division. The new new Doctor Strange poster reveals Benjamin Bratt as part of the cast, but it is still a mystery what role he'll be playing. In TV news, Star Trek Discovery is the official title of the CBS streaming series. Katie Cassidy, who's known for playing Black Canary on Arrow, is now a series regular on three of the four Berlanti-verse shows after signing a similar contract as Wentworth Miller and John Barrowman, who play Captain Cold and Malcolm Merlin, respectively. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s Adrian Palicki has joined Seth MacFarlane's new sci-fi series. Weathering a troubled production to get down, created by Baz Luhrmann and produced by Nas is set to premiere on Netflix August 12th. The period musical drama stars Shamik Moore, Jaden Smith, Jimmy Smith, and Giancarlo Esposito, among others. In sad news, Babylon 5 actor Jerry Doyle passed away on Wednesday at the age of 60. Due to Netflix's current agreement with Marvel to release two shows per year, we won't be seeing any new episodes of Daredevil or Jessica Jones until 2018. The 2017 slots are already filled with the debut seasons of The Defenders and Iron Fist. In film news, after successfully flying under the radar, a trailer for The Great Wall dropped inexplicably out of nowhere. A fictional tale of how and why The Great Wall of China was built. The film stars Matt Damon and was directed by Zhang Yimou of Hero and House of Flying Daggers fame. Could it be that they were trying to stave off the negative publicity that Doctor Strange and Ghost in the Shell faced? (laughs) Good luck with that. 
Both Kurt Russell and Sylvester Stallone have confirmed roles in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Tango and Cash are back, baby. Jeff Johns has been promoted to president of DC Entertainment. Still retains his current title of chief creative officer and will continue to report to Diane Nelson, who is the president and chief content officer of Warner Brothers Interactive Entertainment. Batman the Killing Joke grossed $3.8 million in the two nights in which it had a limited theatrical release at over 1,000 locations. Chris Evans is currently in talks to star in the Lionsgate film adaptation of the BBC miniseries Jekyll. This is not to be confused with Jekyll and Hyde, which Russell Crowe is currently attached as part of Universal Studios' MonsterVerse project. Batman won't be the only Justice League member to show up in the Suicide Squad movie. The Flash will be making an appearance as well. Originally, Justice League and Infinity War were both going to be parts 1 and 2. Now it seems like Warner Brothers DC and Disney Marvel, the conglomerates have decided that both of these stories will now only be told with one movie instead of two. So that means it will be Justice League 1 and 2 and Avengers three and four as standalone movies instead. In comic book and video game adaptation news, we've got the Rogue One writer Chris White partnering with Grant Morrison for a TV adaptation of Sinatoro. Disney has announced plans to reboot the Rocketeer with a black female lead. And finally, Oprah Winfrey is teaming up with Ava DuVernay for the film adaptation of the classic young adult sci-fi fantasy novel, A Wrinkle in Time. Well, that's all for my weekly roundup. Back to you, Afro Nerd. Okay. As always, Claire, excellent job. This is the Grindhouse, folks. If you haven't guessed it, we're back. And it's actually cooling off. For the last eight days, we've had about 90-plus degree weather. So uh, it's raining and it's cooling off, and I can't believe that I actually dig that. It was just oppressive. Anyway, if you'd like to join in with the discourse, on the discourse, pardon me, it's 646 915 9620. 646 915 9620. All right, now we spoke quite a bit about some of the revelations coming out from last week's San Diego Comic Con. And I still, I still believe there's some things that we did not discuss, just a few tidbits that came out. Dow, is there anything that you recollect that we did not cover for the SDCC? I think there were some trailers we even failed to mention. Which trailers? But you you got to give me some because honestly, uh, you guys know how I feel about SDCC as it is. I kind of tuned that all out, you know. Because um, hey, let's remember, I'm the comic book guy. I didn't get a lot of comic book news out there, <laughs> outside of Marvel with Miss Gay, all right. Uh, the Champions thing, which they now ruined ruined two books for me by revealing that early. You know, I didn't get a lot of comic news. And I was expecting to get news from DC. Hello, Milestone. You could keep on telling me. But, yo, uh, other places are making moves on this, DC. You can't keep on just saying it's coming. But on the bright side, you know, uh, it did remind me that that Christopher Priest is going to be Deathstroke's writer. You know, that, that that's good. And seeing uh, uh, Representative Lewis at the convention reminds me that this for Wednesday, folks, March Book 3 comes out. 
All right? But, again, San Diego Comic-Con, good for some folks. But, hey, hey, scratch the comics out of there because I didn't get a lot of comic news. Back to you, Afro-Nerd. Well, what I'm thinking of right away would be the um, – which well, actually something that Claire referenced that I, I – I forgot about this, the Tango Tango and Cash reference. Um, that was kind of cute. I forgot about that. She was talking about, of course, Kirk Rus- Kurt Russell and Sly Stallone teaming up again, but this time for Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay. Um, what are your thoughts about What are your thoughts about that? And then also the talk about Ego making an appearance for the listening audience. Ego is is a living planet a uh, anthropomorphized planet, a planet that, that speaks and thinks a world with a face, if you can imagine that. Um, but I'm hearing also something about Kurt Russell might be doing double duty with being Ego and, um, and, and uh, what's, the, what's the, the main character? Uh, he's the father of... Star-Lord. Star-Lord, thank you. <laughs> How did I forget that? So... What are you hearing about that, Esther? I'm, I'm kind of excited about it, but what are you hearing about that? See, you can be excited about it. Remember the last movie where they decided to combine two villains? Wait, was it three villains? Wait, was it four villains? Remember Ang Lee's Hulk? We were all happy. Nick Nolte's in there. He's going to be uh, Bruce Banner's father, maybe, or adversary. And then they couldn't decide what villain he was. Was he Absorbent Man? Was he the leader? Oh my God! He 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 could be Crusher Creel. Oh oh no 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 no! He might be the Abomination. Oh now he's some gaseous form that has all the powers of the UFOs. That's the problem when you combine characters. Okay. That was funny. All right. That's the problem here. All right. Everybody's getting happy about the news, but excuse me, I'm the evil MFer in the room going. Marvel, you're doing so good with these characters standing on their own. Why all of a sudden now you want to combine villains? Why you got to complicate things? Now, I have faith in the writers. I have faith in the directors. They haven't done a bad job. But <clears throat> any time you combine characters, it always leads to failure. All right? Ego is a separate thing from the father, unless they have it that the father, in searching for more power, turns himself into ego, in which case a lot of cosmic Marvel fans will be going, "What the f is this?" I'm just I'm just laying it out there straight. Again, comic book fan first. Back to you, Afro nerd. Claire, this is your world. You're on the left coast. Um, I, I would I must confess. I'm very happy that we have these two esteemed veteran actors involved in the project. I mean, when you have these big names attached to a comic book movie, it does lend a lot of gravitas to the project. I mean, we've already been there. Even on DC and Marvel side, they they do this. They do get these actors with a bit of heft. But when you mentioned the Tango Cash reference, I forgot about that movie. Um, that I don't know how that. They, I, I would assume they might even do some kind of fourth wall breaking with those two involved but anyway any have you heard anything about this project any excitement about it about it with these 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 two characters these two actors involved or just the, i guess the general excitement for the sequel is enough but what are your thoughts about this um i i haven't heard anything specifically about uh sylvester stallone's role 
um, in terms of what he'll be playing or how significant the character will be to the to the plot. But um, but I mean I'm you know what I'm game. I mean the whole whole point of Guardians of the Galaxy is that even from the jump we were kind of like raised eyebrows. Like, how are they going to pull this off? You know, a talking tree, talking raccoon. What, what is this? What's going on? And they completely and utterly pulled it off. It had a lot of heart. It had a lot of humor. And, and you know, it, it takes upon all these different elements of sci-fi that can be fun and wonderfully weird. So, I'm you know, what little information that we do have regarding... I'll just call him Tango and Cash because I like saying it. <laughs> I hey, love that movie. It's a great movie. movie. It's a great I movie. love that movie. 1989, okay? I love that movie. Um, and remember Terry Hatcher? How fine she oh, was? Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, I remember her. <laughs> I yeah, mean, I love that. She That's was a at classic. the height of her powers at that point. <laughs> <laughs> they're real <laughs> and they're marvelous, baby. Absolutely. Absolutely. I might have to so, look, look at that again. <laughs> me too. Shoot, I want to take a look Ooh, again. Different reasons, though. Go ahead. Oh, she's bad back then. Go ahead. I had a bad memory. Go ahead. Um, she's bad. Go ahead. <laughs> I mean, I just, you know, I'm excited. I'm excited. I don't know how they'll present it. I don't know if they'll even be in the same scenes together. I don't know. You know what? I'm, I'm, I was all with the game. I'm, I'm, oh. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, I think you're breaking up, Claire. <laughs> uh, are you still are you still with us? I am. Can you hear me? Oh, there we go. Yeah, now. Yeah. Okay. As soon as the other line is charged up, I apologize. I didn't have a chance to do that sooner. As soon as that line is uh, is functional, then I'll switch over. Okay. But, so uh, far, so the yeah, no, you're I'm, coming in pretty clear. Okay. Uh, Cap, any thoughts about these two veteran actors or about just, I mean, I'll say this just quickly, that Marvel has set up themselves up with such a, a, a precedent when it comes to their, the quality of their projects. And, and what Claire said, I have to channel with what she was saying, that this was, a, this was a, a, such a lesser-known property that on the, on the books wasn't supposed to work. I mean, who would think? Matter of fact, I, I even did the cartoon. I lament about the cartoon because I'm thinking, and maybe Daryl could even chime in on this, is the cartoon giving away plot points? There's things about the cartoon that worried me about the movie. Daryl? Well, hey, uh, we, so we said it before that, that it happened with Avengers. You saw some plot points given away that they had to change up. You know, I don't think it's happened with Spider-Man, but hey, 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 I mean, now, now you're seeing st- stuff rumored for the movie that's starting to mirror the, the cartoon. So uh, it wouldn't be pa- past the point of reality to see that happen. I just don't want it to happen with Black Panther. <laughs> after seeing what he's done in Earth's Mightiest and after seeing the the limited uh, part he's had in Avengers Assemble, I want Wakanda to be self-contained in that. The Guardians, we don't know yet. We we don't know if the cartoon has given away anything yet. Cap, any thoughts about, uh, you know, the, the, the talk about these two actors being involved with Guardians and 
just in general, your thoughts about the sequel. Well, here's the thing when you're dealing with Guardians of the Galaxy. What makes Guardian Galaxy good is the mere fact it's like anti, somewhat anti-superhero movie. It's off-type. It's not done the same way. You know, and that's good because if you look at most of these superhero movies, they're all pretty much done the same way. It's the same thing, the way they're set up, they're batting it. You got that damn, damn when the movie, when the sound comes in and everything else. So this makes it very good. And it also shows that you can do these things a different way and still get very good numbers, very good numbers on it. You don't have to necessarily follow the format that these movies are all laying out. The same, pretty much the same way. And, you know, with with this, with these additions, it should be rather interesting. You know, it should be rather this interesting. I'm looking forward to the planet situation. I want to see the planet talk. <laughs> I want to see how they pull that off. You know, that's yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of eager for that as well. Should be good. Um, should be good. You know, also there was a release of the Doctor Strange second trailer, and more and more people are making the connection between Inception. Uh, the Christopher Nolan Inception, which was highly touted, very successful. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know why that seems to be at issue. Um, I, I mean, I am hearing that. Well, it's Benedict Cumberbatch as the titular role, so because of his heft, that there's confidence behind this movie. But there's also this. Well, it's so much like Inception, but I always thought that it would have to be. I mean, the, the whole premise of Doctor Strange breaching dimensions and Magic that it would have to it would have to be that I I perceived it to be an Inception style movie years ago when they first talked about that they were going to option Doctor Strange as a movie. Darrell, any thoughts about why why people seem to be a little bit um, you know just a little bit kind of off with the with the Inception thing? Does that have to be well, such a big well, deal? Well, this is what this is what's hilarious. So you, all these people that are now saying this, you didn't get that vibe from the first trailer when the city was bending in front of the bad guy? You didn't get that Inception vibe from the first trailer. What were you looking at? <laughs> Gosh. Oh, oh, my God. It looks like Inception. Well, that scene looked like Inception in the first trailer. What, what's the shock to you? What's the revelation? Oh, wait. Okay. Here's another revelation. James Rhodes is black. Storm is a woman. Um, I don't know if you know it, but Professor X and Magneto used to be friends. Now they're enemies, frenemies, however. You know, Captain America can be a prick at times, but he means well, you know, and he doesn't want you to curse. I'm just helping all these people that now just have figured this out. God! Hey, folks, listen. When you do analyzation, okay, and you're looking at the second trailer, and you say, oh, my God, this looks like Inception. Ask yourself, did you take a close look at the first trailer? I'm just saying. Back to you, Afro-Nerd. <laughs> oh, God. Claire, uh, along with the Doctor Strange second trailer, I know we have our feelings about it. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it, but I'm looking forward to it with kind of a side eye. Um, very disappointed w- with the casting, but we, we've gone over that. Uh, along with the Doctor Strange second trailer, also Kong Skull Island also was out there at Comic-Con. And um, it looks interesting, but I, I'd like to see, you know, what, what, are your, what, what are your thoughts about these two films, the trailers anyway? Um, Kong didn't really impress me. 
I I gotta say that trailer I was I wasn't really thrilled. It looks it looks kind of generic. Um, I feel like between between the 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 movies you know of of past and present or past and most recent between the Godzillas and the um, and the uh, you know the original Peter King Jackson Kong. Kong. And, and the Peter Jackson one, and and just you know, frankly, I I'm a little tapped out. I'm a little tapped out between all these ginormous creatures, whether they be you know gorillas or or uh, dinosaurs or right. Pacific Rim Pacific Rim Jaegers, you know, just this whole premise of the the gigantic scale of it. I'm just kind of I'm just kind of over it, you know. I and I think maybe it's also because I was already kind of rolling my eyes um these other, you know, man versus beast, man versus, you know, creatures of the jungle and showing dominance. Like we've already seen that, you know. We've already got we've already got uh what's his face in in Tarzan. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We've already, you know what I'm saying? Scar, I'm scar, just kind of, right. yeah, you know, I, I was like blah. And of course, you know, Samuel L. Jackson is doing Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> so no, he was <laughs> doing Jane. Let's get this straight. In that new Tarzan, Jane is put to the side. Samuel Jackson is doing the most. Corrosive Jane of all time, but even that being said, it's still better than how he was in Spirit. True. <laughs> I mean, that's not much because that movie was garbage, absolute garbage. But um, but yeah, you're right. In terms of Doctor Strange, I mean, I'm. I mean, the short answer is yes, I'll see it. Of course, I'm gonna see it. Regardless of whether it looks inceptiony or not, and yes, that, that it, any up, upset, negative feedback or comments regarding the fact that it looks very Inception-like, um, exactly. My my thoughts are completely in line with my doppelganger. I mean, did you not know that before? Hello, were you not paying attention? Now this trailer definitely takes it to the nth degree. But I mean, that is what we're in for. I mean, that is this this movie is going to be what leads into the multiverse for Marvel. So it's going to be different. Just Thor Ragnarok. It's going to be different from what we've come, become so accustomed to with the uh, Captain Americas and the Iron Mans. This stuff will be different. It'll touch on different elements and different things with you know the mystical and the fantasy and and all that. So I'm I'm game. We've already beaten that whole casting thing over the head. No one gives a damn. Clearly, because they keep churning out these movies. You know what I'm talking about. But uh, well, but you know, you know I'm, let, let's I'm, get I'm, I'm let's, curious. Let, let's get into this. <laughs> I have I have to kind of like uh, you, you <laughs> Claire. You have you have kind of a um, how can I put this? Uh, a certain power <laughs> when it comes to your feelings. So I'm trying to like wait before before you explode. I have to kind of cool you down. So <laughs> let's, let's let's get into this situation with the Great Wall. I know it's, <laughs> I know it's unsettling. It's unsettling to me 
that this keeps on going on, and Matt Damon is the poster boy for this kind of stuff. Um, I'm not even going to go to you first. Let, let, let's, let's, again, I want to let you kind of calm down because I'm upset, and it, it, that's why I named it another impossible white man movie. And that's kind of a, a jocular trope that's all around the Internet because we've seen this thing over and over and over and over and over again. And there's been a number of movies that are not working out, and it's, it, it's, it's the same thing all the time. It almost reflects what's going on politically. Well, not almost. It does reflect what's going on politically. You have the clashing of the old world and the new world, a darker world versus a more Euro world. And folks, as times go on, they want to see more uh, – they want to see more films that sh- that are more in, in tune to the to, to what what you would expect for the for, for the the locale. If it's going to be in ch- in China, we would expect to see really more Chinese people involved in this thing. I know that there's a gentleman that uh, is, is directing this thing. He's helming it, uh, Zhang Yimou, Yimou, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. But uh, you still have the impossible white man fronting this thing. So I'm going to wait for Claire before she explodes. Let's go to the captain, who's a bit more mild-mannered than all of us. Um, Cap, why, why are we still seeing this when folks are letting it be known that you can't really get away with this stuff anymore? There's been a number of films, Hollywood big-budget films, that the Twitterverse, black Twitter, Asian Twitter, Latin Twitter, they will shout you down if you don't come correct. And still they keep on doing this again. I would have a hard time believing that the Great Wall is going to make any money. Well, okay, why is this? There's two, sides. there's two sides of the coin with this now. Number one, this is par for the course. You know, people have a tendency to do what they're familiar with. They run down that path. You've got to deal with that. Now, you've got to understand something. In a capitalistic society, everything is based on exploitation. On the top of this tree, actually, is the Jewish community. Then you have the regular white community on the top of this tree. That's one of the main reasons why you can't make any remarks, whether they be right or wrong, in respect to Jewish people. Everyone else, you could somewhat, you could somewhat say things. Them, you can't say anything about. Now, the interesting thing is that when you deal with multiculturalism society, all the cultures want an even playing field. And there's no such thing because it's a capitalistic society. It cannot be an even playing field. So everyone, by their faith, by their understanding, is going to be self-important. They want to see themselves on the top. You know, that, that's the reality of it. Now, we're also dealing with a time, a time frame where people want more accurate depictions of what's happening on the screen. That's what people definitely do want at this given time. I'm getting a little feedback here. You know. <laughs> okay. So, you have that pretty much going on when you're dealing with this. So, you know, again, once again, this is par for the course. This is just par for the course. This is what the powers that be, this is what they do. Now, here's the other side now, too, also. These things with the miraculous white man, they're not making money. Look at gods of Egypt. They're not making money. So if the bottom line is money, you're going to have to change your format with this. You have to start to wonder, is there something else going on, what they're trying to do here? Because these things are not making money. 
And maybe there's something else at foot here if the bottom line is money, you know. I talk about imagery and everything else all the time, but, you know, if the bottom line is money, what are you continually doing this? Because the people are starting to get self-aware and say, hey, I don't want to see that. <laughs> Give me something more real, a little more accurate. Now you have also another side. Some people say, well, it's fantasy. You know, it, it, it really doesn't matter. It's not like they're putting true history out there. Well, that's BS because they've altered history a lot of times in Hollywood. We know that to be true. Switch things up, you know, from what it is. It should be at, it low, at the lowest ground state. So it does matter. Imagery definitely does matter. So this, at the end of the day, is just par for the course. Par for the course. Par for the course. And there's another side. That's not ramble on with this, too. You have to look, when you go to movies and you go into other countries, some would say when the Chinese people put out their movies, why do they depict white people as the same way? Someone that come in their movies, that's doing something in their movies, they try to take over, and then the white guy gets their ass kicked. <laughs> Which I like, by the way. But anyway, <laughs> some will say, why do they always do that? Some will also say that, you know, that's just a response to the European mentality that's pushed out there. Some will say that also. I don't think it's that. I think this is what humans do. They're self-important. You know, Chinese people, they do Chinese things. They want their, their imagery on top. In that situation This is what everyone does The problem is Hollywood Has been the most dominant Out there Well they also Well really it's Bollywood That's to tell you the truth But from this standpoint From our standpoint America You know Is supposed to be so powerful So when these movies come out You know You have The power structure The quote unquote White God Because that's what it is On top And now you know People are just You know No I want to see myself up there So it's not working for people but if the bottom line is making money, why are these movies still coming out? You know, it should really be something that's rather multicultural. You know, you need some Asian-type Indians. You need some Chinese-type, you know, you need different things going on. And this movie should not be coming out in the way that it's set up. You know, it needs a little bit more accurate depiction, even though it's fantasy. Back over to you, Afton Earth. Uh, now, quickly, I have to mention this. Actress Constance Wu from Fresh Off the Boat. She wrote a rather impassioned letter on the Internet. I mean, she went off on this. And I playfully, someone sent it to me, and I playfully said that I looked at her. I, I know who she is, and I, I looked at the show um, here and there. And I said right away, I said, well, she's fine. So whatever she says is correct by default. That's just me being funny. But I'm, I'm, reading, this, I'm reading this rather lengthy, um, impassioned letter, uh, which could, could have easily been written by our, our own Claire Linnae. And it's just, you know, listen, she's a working actress on a, on a top-rated series. And I, I fear that just as Jesse Williams, when he spoke out at the BET Awards, that when you do this, I hope there's no repercussions. I really don't. I, I really don't. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have Claire come in on this one, and then we'll have the uncanny Daryl B. But um, at some point I'll, I'll, I'll recite a few of, of Ms. Wu's comments but it's rather blistering and you can tell she's upset about this as we all are i mean you know it's kind of just <sighs> claire help me with this i save you i try to save you for last but i know i know this is this is on repeat they're not getting this message 
your thoughts? Um, in terms of what you're saying about repercussions, I I also hope as well that it doesn't, you know, negatively impact her career. Because um, remember, I kind of was concerned that what's your name, Chloe Bennett, was also kind yeah, she's another one shooting herself in the foot. And listen, I'm all for empowered women, you know, speaking their minds, speaking their hearts and standing up for what they believe in. But I also know how it is, you know, and if, you know, Chloe is saying things like Marvel doesn't care about this show and you got all these movies starring a a white boy named Chris, you know, if you're saying things like that, I, I just, I can't help but get a little, you know, a little worried for you. Because the thing is, is that, yeah, you may be, you may be the star of the show. You may be, you know, a prominent figure of the show. But you know what, sweetheart? Nicole Behari was the star of her show. And look what happened to her. Yeah. Okay? So I I never, ever, you know, believe that anyone is exempt or immune to the the moods of their their higher ups and you know with with Constance she's kind of gotten herself you know in the mix before when when this conversation has come up previously with Doctor Strange and Ghost in the Shell and whatnot but I understand her anger I understand her frustration all too well and she's not she's not wrong for some of the stuff that she's, you know, that she's imploring, you know, Hollywood and studios to to understand or to shed some light on in terms of their uh, incessant, you know, perpetuation of this, as she calls it, racist myth. You know, I, I, I feel it. I, I'm, I'm reading it. I'm reading the anger in her voice. And I'm like, yes, I feel you, girl. I got you. But please keep your job, <laughs> please, because you're the only Asian show on television. Come on now, just just keep going, keep going. Now I'm, 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 I'm. I don't know. I feel it. I understand what she's what she's talking about. But when I saw that trailer, I'm gonna tell you, I laughed. I laughed because it was as if all of the Asian community in America was yet again being punked, okay? How much have we been griping? How much have we been hollering and screaming and and just, you know, cursing the sky with our frustration about whitewashing? How many times do we have to say it? And then out of nowhere, out of nowhere, inexplicably, I will say that word again, this trailer drops about the Great Wall of China you know, a fantasy tale, a monster tale regarding the Great Wall of China. And who is the face of the movie? Matt Effing Damon. It was as if somebody was trying to punch me in the crotch. Like, really? Really? After everything we just said. You just thought, okay, well, maybe if we just keep quiet. Let's just, let's just keep quiet and not say anything. And maybe they'll all calm down. 
and forget how mad they are, you know, maybe they'll embrace this with open and loving arms. Yeah, fat chance. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I don't wish ill will or or failure upon anybody, but I'm just saying, I am just saying I don't foresee the Great Wall to do very well. Back to you. Uh, Daryl, we're, we're at this again, you know, um, you know, we spoke about this um, at some time ago. Matter of fact, I believe our friend from Chicago is on hold. I'll bring him in a, in a, in a moment briefly. Um, you know, with, with 12 Years a Slave, famously in Italy, again, this is Chiwetel Elgiofor's movie. He was the, the slave of 12 Years a Slave, and yet in Italy they have posters with, with uh, Brad Pitt on the cover. And he was only in the film, even though he was one of the producers of the film, he's in it for about 10 minutes. So if you could put a white male on the, on, the, on, the, on the poster, the front of a poster of a film called 12 Years a Slave, um, you know, it's pretty evident what's going on here. My, my only thing is that when I was looking at it, the way Claire was looking at it, I looked at this like, this is, this is so 1980s. I mean, you can't, you just can't, I'm, I'm a little weirded, weirded out that in 2016, going into 2017, that they still have a 1980s-style mentality that just looks out of sorts. It's like, you know, you can't, you can't have a black face. Well, you know, I hate to say that. They're trying to put, bring that back again. Black face, yellow face, red face. But you can't have Al Jolson come back in 2016, although I'm pretty sure they will try it. So what am I missing where this looks, it looks off to me? It looks very dated, even beyond the racism. It's like you just can't have the white guy as the titular hero in China. What's up with that, Daryl? What are your thoughts? What? Why is everybody shocked? Did did not everybody see the Dave Chappelle show? Did it, didn't Paul Mooney warn all of us? <laughs> hey, Tom Cruise, The Last Samurai. Ha! Oh, that's great. That's great. All right. Uh, what's coming up next? The Last and Alive, starring Tom Hanks. Paul Mooney warned all of us. <laughs> this is going to happen. All right. Ah, uh, hey, I said it in the blog that will be posted up this week. I went. Thank you, Matt Damon. Thank you, China, because because you guys turned uh, turned me off. All right, I didn't bother go see Born this weekend. Screw that. I you I put my money and I took that money I would use for the movie and and uh, put in an order for a Black Heroes Matter T-shirt with with uh, Jason Wise, the the T-shirt that got so popular at SDCC. I went and I put I used your movie after after not only after this but after the Project Greenlight stupidity. Thank you. You made it very easy for me to go. You know what? I don't care about seeing that movie. <laughs> Listen, I, 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 love, I love movies like this just because it is so dumb. So dumb. So there's thousands upon thousands of years of culture and discipline happening over there in Asia. 
but the battle is turned when the white guy comes in and leads the Asian forces. What? What? I'm sorry. I rolled my eyes when Tom Cruise did it. I rolled my eyes at Kung Fu. I'm rolling my eyes at this. Folks that go and see this movie, go ahead. You go see this movie. All the power to you. I will save my money. Back to you, Afrinerd. All right, let's bring our friend. I mean, from my friend was, was mentioning, I mean, just to, to interject, my friend was mentioning in terms of what you said, dated. This whole premise is dated. This is a long-standing legacy, a long-standing tradition of whitewashing and the white savior, the white messiah. Okay, but it looks ridiculous. Okay, am I, am I crazy or is this like bad? Is this Jim Cotta bad? Jim Cotta. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I love Jim Cotta because it was that bad. It was it was Howard the Duck. It was so cheesy, so oh my god, they just tried to do that that I went like, "Hey, I'll see it again." I won't lie. I won't lie. I won't hide. That Howard the Duck, American Ninja, all of these movies. I sat and I laughed my butt off, and that's why whenever I do bad movies nights, one of them has to pop in there. Jim Cotta, that was great. We're going to take a gymnast and and put him on a a Mortal Kombat-type freaking survival uh, obstacle course with other hardened trading martial artists, and he's the one to survive. Wow, that's great. (laughs) <laughs> well, I, I got to say this: isn't isn't this a variant of the Tarzan mythology going on here? Because I don't think Tarzan didn't really do anything, right? I mean, as far as financially, did it pretty much flop, or did it make any money? I thought it made some money. I don't. I don't think they made back their investment, though. Because I I I, I felt a certain kind of way wanting to see that movie. I never, I, I couldn't bring myself to see it. I could not bring myself to see it. And I know Tarzan, for the most part, is positioned as a pulp hero, comic books. I mean, he falls in line with what we would normally go for, but I just could not see, again, the trope of a European man coming in and, uh, and regulating Negroes in the jungle. I can't, I can't do that. I can't do that. And I think this is pretty much what... Claire is talking about that. I mean, you just, I could easily see this because it's the same. It seems to be the same thing. In every location, the impossible white man is controlling the indigenous folk. And it, it just rings hollow. And it, Tarzan felt dated to me. And so did, so did the Great Wall. The, the Great Wall of China is such an impressive uh, architectural feat that, I mean... <laughs> If, I don't know. If that whole, if you're going to do a movie like that, that needs to be completely reworked. Update. The, the reason why we listen, we spoke about Luke Cage last week and some of these other characters that had to be updated to 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 fit the sensibilities of folks in this era. You can't. You, you if you're going to do something, it has to again be re, reworked where people feel comfortable and it actually connects to their present day sensibilities. And Hollywood is so late on connecting with present-day trends. So let me, let me bring in um, Sergio, our friend from Shadow and Act. Always check out Shadow and Act. Serge, what's up, man? How are you doing? 
Uh, a couple of things. First of all, um, Tarzan did not make money. It, it's a long way from even just even barely break, breaking even. It's not going to do it. It's not going to do it. Uh, number two, I'm sorry I'm kind of late about this, but um, I have my own Tango and Cash story. I was on the set of that oh. film. Uh, okay. I was on the set actually the day they fired the original director of the picture. Um, Andrew Kaskolansky, who was credited, he only directed half the film. He was fired, and they replaced him with Here's Your Prince Connection. He was, pra- he was replaced by Albert Magnoli, who directed... Oh, Purple yeah, I know Rain. that name. Right. And uh, he's not credited, but they fired him because he um, Kolansky was, was too slow, and he was not the right guy for the film. Um, but I was on the set. They were shooting... The one of the sequences from the escape from prison, when everything went kaplooey, and I remember Stallone getting his to Mercedes and driving off. They they fired him and he replaced Magnolia the next day. You know. Wow. There you go. But anyway, getting back to the, the subject at hand, what really bothers me about the I sent this trailer out to friends of mine. And I'm surprised. I'm talking about black friends, and I am surprised. Some of them came back to me and said, "I don't see what the problem is." Oh, that's, well, you know what that is. <laughs> and I said, that's, that's "You know," and I got explained to him. Really, you you don't see what the problem is? Now, I have a question for Miss Lene. I'm sure she knows the answer to this question. What is the sixth largest grossing film worldwide this year? The sixth largest grossing. I said the sixth. Hmm. I think you said right. The six, right. Um, hmm, give me a hint. Um, Whoa. it's a film with no white people in it. <laughs> uh, The Mermaid? The Mermaid. The Mermaid. Stephen Chow's The Mermaid. Financed by Sony, Chinese uh, film. I don't know if it's shot in Hong Kong or mainland China, but um, financed by Sony. The film has, is the sixth largest grossing film in worldwide this year. It's done almost close to $600 million. Uh, it, did, it did very, very little business in the United States, but the United States is not important. But um, it was a troubling film. It was a very troubling film, and it was a great film. And I, right. uh, Master Kung Fu, hey, Marvel, Stephen Chow, Master of Kung Fu, now. Now, see, anyway. But here's the thing. Why then do they think they need Matt Damon for a film? By the way, and don't forget, Matt Damon was not a box office guy until by luck he stumbled onto the Born Identity Pictures. He wasn't that kind of a box office pull. No, and, and it, you know, as Captain Kirk said, uh, Gods of Egypt, you know, um, Tarzan's not doing any business. What's the other film? I mean, there have been so many of them. They don't do business. But Noah. what is this blind? What Noah. Is this blind, <laughs> what is this blind thing that we still got to have a white guy because nobody would go see it? There are no white people in Mermaid. And it's everybody who wants to see it around the world. You know, it probably would have been a big hit here if they had pushed it in the United States. You know? Um, so, you know. Once again, and here I this trailer has backfired. I don't know anybody who likes it. I don't know anybody who says, "Wow, I gotta go see that." All I hear is what we've been talking about. Really? You know? Are you serious? Uh, that didn't I, ch- save China. Well, I'm yeah, so disturbed by yeah, it, it, exactly what you just 
said, that is exactly my problem, okay? Because whenever I have these conversations, and obviously I'm emotionally invested, clearly, but when I broach these types of topics, when a white person says something like that, like, oh, I don't see the problem, when a white person becomes defensive, when a white person is complacent and I'm overreacting, I'm, you know, getting all up in arms for no reason because really white is right. I'm surprised. I expect that response. I expect that behavior because, of course, you're white. It's not your problem. It's not your struggle. You are in the position of power. So why would you want anything to change? So I'm, I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. I get it. I expect that. But what you just said is exactly my problem. When a person of color has that same level of complacency and doesn't right. see a problem, doesn't care, doesn't see that there's so much that you know must be done in terms of representation and inclusion amongst our community, doesn't see anything wrong with the way things are, or is just completely like, well, I don't know. I mean, what can I do? That's just the way it is. I'm going to tell you straight up, that makes me crazy. That breaks my heart because when a person of color thinks that there's nothing that we can do about it, then we have lost. So when I see this, situations where people behind ghosts in the shell want to act like everything is okay and then, quote, quote, we never imagined Motokusanagi as Japanese we never imagined that when you say stuff like that or when this guy, Yan Zimu, or whatever his name is, directing The Great Wall with the white boy, who has done movies like Hero and House of Flying Daggers and all this other beautiful stuff. I mean, when you make the decision to make this story, to make this movie in China, this is the most expensive movie that has ever been shot entirely in country of China, and you choose to have it be all English, and you choose to have the face movie, the white man, this stuff breaks my heart. This is you basically kowtowing to the man, to the system. You're saying, just as they all have, that yes, white is right. I can't sell a movie unless there's a white person in it. That's what you're well, saying. You know, they- well, one excuse someone gave me, which is unbelievable, was that someone who didn't – I had explained to him what the problem was. And he said to me, well, you see, but it's about – it's fantasy because it's about fighting dragons. So, therefore, you know, it's, it's not – it's a fantasy film. And I said, well, then why didn't they set the film in Ireland you know, you can set the film in Ireland and have nothing but red-headed white people fight dragons, right? This is specifically set in China during the building of the Great Wall, right? Uh, there's a specific they... place and time where this film is set, right? So it's ridiculous to have a white guy in the center of this picture. But didn't they do that movie already with Matthew McConaughey and Christian Bale about white yeah, guys fighting dragons in England? Yeah, rain, rain of fire. <laughs> yes. hey, you said it in England. Gee, England's about damn near half black. You know, you can have some black people in the damn picture. You know. Well, you know, I have to say, you know, with with Claire's comment about people of color kind of being clueless, unfortunately, that's 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 the result of the quote unquote success of these kind of movies. That these kind of movies 
allow for a type of conditioning to take over that even folks of color shrug their shoulders and say, well, what's the big deal? Because they're already accustomed to this kind of thing. They don't think that race matters. But if race didn't matter, then they would have they, – why did they always opt for the white guy? Why, uh, the white guy being the, being the man with all the answers or sometimes the woman with all the answers. That can is I, so trophy that, that if it didn't matter, then why would we have to go to that trope all the time? But the conditioning is successful. So that's you know, what, that's I got to tell I you is. something. I, no, I get to why it's important, and this goes into something I'm sure you're going to talk about later, about Rocketeer, okay? Yeah. So I read that they're doing a, they're doing a remake of Rocketeer, and I like Rocketeer, the, the, first, the one that came out 20 years ago. I like it, okay? So I sent it to a friend of mine saying, you know, you're not going to like this. They're doing a remake of Rocketeer. I didn't bother to read the article. It, it wasn't <laughs> within a shadow of that. Then I realized that they're going to recast it having a black woman do Rocketeer. All right? And when I read that, I was like, oh, my God, wait a minute. Hold it, hold it, hold it. You know? <laughs> wait a minute. I'm going to take about anything I said <laughs> putting down this remake of Rocketeer because putting a black woman in Rocketeer, hey, I'm interested in it now. I'm very much interested in seeing this. You know, and it's going to be a period film, like the original one. It's not going to be a modern remake. It's supposed to take place something like five years after the original one. And said, so, they're going to have a black, a young black woman in the center. See, that's important to me. Well, see, again, that's important you know, to me. just like just like Twenty Four Legacy, as I told Daryl, Twenty Four Legacy is really important to me because I want to see a black hero every week on TV. I don't want to see Empire. I want to see a black hero every week fighting the bad guys every week. That's important to me. Well, the only thing about what you're talking about, and again, I hope that this Rocketeer is successful because the original one that came out in the early 90s ended up being a cult favorite. Right. It wasn't that big a hit. It was not. It barely broke even, but it became, right, a cult hit afterwards. Well, listen, I thought that even back then that the, the imagery, I knew what they were going for because they had the Art Deco poster, and it was, it was like a, it was a perfect uh, uh, homage to a 1930s serial. So to have a, right. black woman, a black woman in that space five years after the fact, so you're still talking about the late 1930s, early 1940s. Um, you do have historical black female pilots at that time. I forgot the young woman's name. Um, you have Tim uh, Jesse Fielder. Coleman. Jesse Coleman. Uh, Bet- Jesse Bessie Coleman. Bessie Coleman. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, exactly. Bessie Coleman. Uh, you have our friend who follows the show, Tim Fielder, who has Maddie's Rocket, which is uh, kind of an homage to that kind of thing with a black female lead in, in a uh, flying plane. Um, and, heck, even the Tuskegee Airmen. I mean, we've seen a number of films that dealt with that, that period. But to see a woman in that position, um, I, I – I hope it does well, but again, we're so used to the trope. See, we're in a, we're kind of in a, in a quagmire. We're so used to the trope that, but I'm thinking that that this this is the time now that these these films with the right actors, I think they should do well if the word gets around. But they have to do well. If they don't do well, then it's going to be that I told you so kind of thing. And that's what I'm fearful of is that when they when you don't take the chance. It's a problem, but and if you do take the chance and people don't come out, then you're going to get what well, we told you so. And it's going to go back to the same old trope. But I do think things but are a little bit a, different it's now. A, it's a, it's completely the system is rigged. 
The system is rigged. The house always wins. So they have all these, you know, movies that they, they say, oh, yeah, we're going to reboot this, we're going to recast this, and we're going to diversify because all you people want diversity in your comics and in your movies and blah, blah, blah. But they don't market them properly. And then when they don't do as well as projected, then it's, oh, well, it didn't do well because we had a person of color. So we can't do that because that box office poison. But then on the flip side, you spend all this money marketing the hell out of gods of Egypt and all this other garbage, which is also technically fantasy, and then it doesn't sell, but that's okay because you all have an indefinite, an indefinite get-out-of-jail-free where you are allowed to fail, fail, fail over and over again. We do not have that luxury. So if yeah. we F up even a little bit, then it's like, oh, well, you know, we can't have a black guy in there. We can't have a black woman. We can't have an Asian. There are no Asian stars. We can't have none of that. Oh, I see. But you can burn money. You can burn money on all this garbage that didn't make any money, that cost you an arm and a leg to produce and to promote. But it's okay. Oh, it's okay because it's a white guy. So that's all right. It's, it's okay to well, waste you know, money it, it, on a white guy. You know, you know, it's like two days ago I was reading uh, the box office predictions in Hollywood Reporter, and they were shocked that, according to um, their statistics, um, that Ben Hur remake with all white guys is going to flop. Oh man! And I go, I'm glad you brought that up. That's another one. I saw that And I too. said, oh, and I was like, oh, really? You thought they were going to make money? You know. You're going to do a remake of a classic with one of the greatest, the greatest action sequences ever done in a movie, which they're going to redo basically CGI on blue screen, which is not going to work. While in the original one, they actually built the sets. They spent six weeks actually shooting that sequence under two different directors. But the thing about it is that it was, you know, you do it with an all-white cast, basically Brits and Australians. Oh, I forgot that Morgan Freeman is in as the token. You do it all like you do all white cast, a remake of a classic, and you're shocked that according to your according to your analysis, it's gonna flop. Really? You know, you know, uh, one of the first Ben Ben Hur come. Well, I think there's one a silent film burnt Ben Hur. Well, the silent film came out in 1925, 1926. The original silent version. 59. 59. So, I mean, listen, I, you and I, I mean, you're more of a cineast than I am, but I, I consider myself a, somewhat of a cineast. And I, I look at some of these older films, you know, there's no way I, can, I cannot give props to uh, High Noon, Gary Cooper. I mean, you know, you look at them from a, from a, a different point of view. Um, well, those but, are the films I was raised on. Those are the films that raised me. I those mean, are the films I know, you know. They're classics. They're classics, and they truly are universal. But you you just cannot do. I mean, we saw uh, Cleopatra, what, 1960, with uh, or is it 62? 60, uh, 62. With, with um, Elizabeth Taylor. Right. And I mean, you know, it, it, it you just can't get away with this. We're talking about now, almost 60 years now. No, but here's the that, thing. That, Listen that, to that this. We're, we're not. We're, we're not. Well, hold on. We're not in that same place. But for folks to still use, like, a 1960s paradigm 
for 2017. I'm going to go there now. It's already so in my head. I'm already for the next year. Um, it, it just seems like what is going on with with the folks behind the scenes that, that I mean I I wouldn't even want to see him. I would want to see Ben Hur because I remember the old the the, the classic Ben Hur. I would I would see Ben Hur under normal circumstances, but after looking at the trailer, I said, okay, what, what are we? What's going on here? I mean, if you don't have African, Middle Eastern, uh, Hermetic people, I mean, you got, what are we talking about? Look, look this, the deal is that, as William Goldman said in his book about about as Avengers in the Skin Trade, the most quotable line that's ever been said, we talked about Hollywood, nobody knows anything. Nobody knows anything. The reason why I still say the 1970s were the greatest decade of filmmaking ever. You just look at the kind of movies that were made in the 1970s. The reason why they did that is because in 1969, 1970, nobody was going to movies. Nobody was going to movies. The box office had dropped to nothing, right? So Hollywood said, hey, look, let's just make anything. Let's just make anything. And see if well, that's where exploitation came in at that point. Black exploitation, horror did a, a, a extraordinary resurgence. Star Wars came out in the 1970s. Jaws came out in the 1970s. But you also had films like Dog Day Afternoon, and Serpico, and and uh, The Devils, and uh, Easy uh, not Easy Rider, uh, Last Picture Last Picture Show. You had an extraordinary range of movies, right? And and what happened was because they didn't know who wanted to see pictures. Now. Today, today is risk avoidance. They said, okay, we know what's going to make, we just want interest in what's going to make money, right? So, don't get me wrong, comic book movies, superhero films, they make a lot of money, right? And I'm afraid, and slightly to the differences, I think, of more serious pictures. Now, the kind of movies I'm really into, I have to wait until t- September, from September to December, where the more, say, Serious films come. I don't, and I'm, not, I'm not denigrating comic book movies, but I'm saying that the movies that are more, you know, about eternal struggles or about real lives or things of that nature, I gotta wait till the end of the year, you know, because sure, comic book movies are fine. I like a lot of them. Some of them I don't understand, but the thing about it is that you got such an abundance of it because Hollywood knows this stuff makes money. Now and. What's going to happen when one day they don't make the kind of money that they do? What's going to happen? Go, they'll keep go putting the more white thing. people in there? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> oh, you know, that's why I'm really hoping it's going to be, I think it's going to be a huge hit. That's why I'm hoping Magnificent Seven is a huge hit. I'm really I hoping it's so a huge too. hit. I hope so, you know, too. Because Westerns are my favorite genre of all. I love Westerns to death. And there haven't been that many westerns with black people in it, you know. There just haven't been that many, you know. There's Buck and the Preacher. I can think of Posse. I don't want to think of Posse, but there's Posse. But you know, so I I want to see that because this is something. One out of every three cowboys was a person of color during that period in real life. One out of every three, either he was black or he was Hispanic, but but most westerns you would think it's just all white people. 
well, you think that the world was just all white people based on what we see in the media. Yeah, based and, on people archival footage. Pe- and people believe people it. Believe people believe that. People perpetuate I, this, you know, this notion. My, my thing is just kind of briefly going back to what we were talking about, how you mentioned the mermaid and how it made about $600 million. Yeah, well, you know what also million. made? You know what also made over six hundred million? What? Life of Pi. I'm sorry. What? Pi. House it of Pi. Yeah. Life oh, of yeah. Pi. Mm-hmm. Life mm-hmm. of Pi. And and again and again, just like what Ang Lee did with with that movie and with Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which won four Oscars. You know, can you imagine? Can you imagine these these stories? You know, these mythologies, these tales being diluted with a white leading character. Uh, Can you imagine that? It's impossible. It's impossible. I mean, it's well, first of all, if it had, I guarantee you, it wouldn't have made the money it did. Exactly, because how can we take it seriously? It wouldn't have nearly as authentic. And so that's why I, I just can't help but I mean, yes, obviously, I'm emotional and I'm upset and I'm irritated, but ultimately, just, just, just looking at the trailer of The Great Wall of itself, it doesn't look interesting. It's poor in quality. It seems like, a, you know, a washed-up concept that's been beaten to death. Well, actually, when is it coming out? That's also a February. Sales. February oh, 2017. February. I thought it was January, because if it's in January, that's when you know it's a clunker. No, that's not really true anymore. No, February. That's that's not really true anymore. That used to be true, not true anymore. But they're they're opening up worldwide, I believe, on the same day, in February. Um, But this this is going to backfire. I mean, like I said before, I don't know anybody who is saying, wow, that looks great. (laughs) You know, oh, wow, I can wait to see Matt Damon in this. I don't see it. I haven't heard it. Uh, I think this has totally backfired on Universal. And maybe Ms. Lene is right. Maybe Universal smells, we got trouble here. You know. Uh, Let's see, we can nip this in the bud. Of course they smell it. That that is why. That is why they kept it under wraps. They kept quiet. They were hush-hush about this project. That nobody knew what they were doing until they released the trailer. And they knew. They knew they were in for... They they knew they were in for some heat because why? Of all the what have we been talking about all damn year? You know, between Doctor Strange and between Iron Fist and between you know Ghost in the Shell, for goodness sakes. I mean, they knew they knew that they were in for it. That's why they kept quiet up until they could no longer keep it hidden. And now that they've released this trailer out of nowhere, I mean, they have what? And you know, when I think of Ghost in the Shell. Well, the thing that goes to the shell, the, the thing that pisses me off about this is that who's that actress who's in it? Um, Scarlett oh, yeah. Johansson, right? They said Scarlett Johansson is the biggest female movie star, has the biggest box up. That, yeah, that's because she's been in these uh, 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 Avenger movies. She can't sell a film on herself. Uh, I don't know. She, she did well. She, she did well with that uh, that computer Why? film. What was that again? Claire? Lucy. Lucy. Yeah, Lucy. That Lucy yeah, thing made a movie. lot of money. Yeah, but it that's did, one movie. But again, but again, her, and I don't get me wrong, I like her. I've always liked her. You know, as a much younger, 
you know. But translation, you know, I've always liked her as a performer. Um, let's just be real. The clout that she has is solely, solely because of her participation in the Marvel Universe. So any yeah, success uh-huh. that she has yeah. had thereafter is because of that. Exactly. Not because she herself was able to amass this popularity by herself. No. Exactly. No, she was exactly. part of the machine. And let's face it, Lucy is the same thing, and I'm going to go and say this, and I know people are going to get pissed, but I'm going to say it. Lucy is the same thing as the Great Wall. If you look at it, it's the same movie. And this is my, 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 my characterization of it, all right? White girl, female, gets powers, Asian country, then it becomes worldwide, and she, she goes, breaks the fourth wall, and she she just and she becomes the ultimate Mary Sue. Uh, don't get me wrong. I like to have seen that powers in action. The problem with that movie was you didn't create a villain to face her. What was her villain? Modern times. <laughs> Good luck with this. You know. Hey, Morgan Freeman tried. Morgan Freeman tried to pull this movie back. All right, and it went, it went it, somewhere. I was like, I'm with it. First stage, I'm with it. Second stage, uh, okay, maybe, maybe one of the busts and the other guy, and we get it. Third stage, well, what the hell was that? Oh, by the way, directed by the same director who just uh, lost a plagiarism suit. Gee, you know. Oh yeah, I we'll know. I fine. heard. We, we, we're going to talk about that in a moment. Actually, let's let's go to a quick groove. Let's take a break, Sergio. I'm going to put you on hold. Uh, Folks, this is the Grindhouse edition. We're back. Afro Radio powered the Grindhouse. Going to a quick Herb Alt group. When we get back, I want to talk about a number of things, actually. I want to actually dovetail a little bit. Um, we can address Luke Besson, from Besson, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, how he gets sued for, uh, let's say he took some liberties with Escape from New York from his lockout film. Anyway, quick groove. This is Gene Gray. A blurred Jean Grey, who did a, um, a special song for the Black Panther comic book, Tanasi Coates. So this is pretty cool. What what you came for, Jean Grey? We'll be right back. <laughs> Jungle that'll rumble under my feet And will you watch the child bleed with me as we count 
riders and we bound to fall. Your way in the mind, we need to sign them all. Out of eye, you'll be the highway, is not fine at all. We the light of all, what we need to fight for. Say it again, say the riders and we bound to fall. movie 
which is a straight-up ripoff of John Carpenter's um, of, uh, Assault on Precinct 13. Mm-hmm. But there's never been a lawsuit about that, and I and I mean, you know, it's the only difference really is is that the nest takes place in a warehouse, and assault from Precinct 13 takes place in a in an abandoned police station, but the similarities are there. And I said, well, how come he's never sued about that picture? I don't know. Well, it makes you wonder because in science fiction, there's so many tropes that I would find it hard to believe. That you wouldn't. I mean, every time I see something, there's there's something that I could say, oh, that definitely comes from something else. But but for it to get that deep where he gets sued and loses, I mean, unless there's going to be an appeal, which maybe they will be, I don't know. Um, and I don't, I don't know if this, money, this movie made a hell of a lot of money, but now now I'm interested in seeing Lockout. I want to see just how similar is it to uh, Escape from New York. But um, I'm surprised you're not hearing more of these type of things. And also that the fact that it's an international film. You know, this was a French film versus an American film going back 30-plus years ago. Um, I don't know. But he did lose the plagiarism lawsuit. Very, um, I don't know. I'm reading this now. Yeah, there is an appeal. <laughs> yeah, so there is there is an appeal. Wow. What? No whoops? Oops, uh, I didn't mean for the story to be so close. Right, right, right. You and Melina Trump. Good luck. Well, you know what? I might be mistaken. It might, might be worse than what I thought. It says, on Besson's appeal, the judgment was upheld in July 2016, and the damages were increased. Oh, great. <laughs> so you tried to overturn it, and you made it worse for yourself. Oh, this is beautiful. This story's getting better. But, you know, I mean, I'm not sure of the, the currency. I guess it's in francs. But it says, or euros. Um, well, I think it's euros, actually. It, it says the court ruled in Carpenter's favor, awarding 20000 to Carpenter, euros. So 20000 euros is probably around, I don't know, $35,000. So it really yeah, wasn't that much right. money. So it really, it really wasn't that much money. But then on the appeal, it went up to 450000 euros. So he made it worse. So, so I guess the similarities were probably there, but not that deep. But he made it a whole lot deeper by appealing it. Wow. That's it. <laughs> he made it worse. I guess I'm just curious as to why we're not hearing more. Well, maybe we will hear more of this. Because I see things rip off all day long, especially in science fiction. Well, the thing about it is that they're going to always say you, you can't steal an idea. So for him to lose this thing, there really had to be some really close plot similarities that were just too obvious to ignore. Because because um, there have been films that were similar to um, to Escape from New York, or his first movie, uh, like a, well, no, I'm sorry, it's not his first feature, but Assault from Precinct 13 is a ripoff of Rio Bravo. And even Carpenter makes that clear when um, Carpenter edited the movie, but he didn't take the he didn't take the name Carpenter he didn't take the name John Carpenter on the credits. It says John T. Chance, which is John Wayne's name in Rio Bravo. So he's oh, making okay. it very clear this is blatantly you know uh, ripped off from oh look at Star Wars. 
you know, George Lucas has said that Star Wars is very much influenced by John Ford, The Searchers. Well, actually, I thought it was also uh, in line with um, the, the uh, Metropolis. You could definitely see well, that uh, by the uh, robot. Only also a Metropolis, but also if you ever seen Akira Kurosawa's Hidden Fortress, there are two characters in the movie who are very similar to CPO and um, R2-D2. And Lucas had made it very clear that the inspiration for those characters came from these two characters in Kurosawa's film. Filmmakers do that all the time. They steal from other movies, other ideas, but they put their spin on it. In the case of this, uh, in the case of this thing with um, Brisson and, Lu- and Carpenter, evidently the similarities were just too close. I'm going to have to watch Lockout for myself. Now, yeah, now uh, I have to watch it too. Now, now I'm actually see, for myself. I mean, I'll say this much from just looking at it briefly when I first heard about this lawsuit, and then we'll move along. Um, the similarities would be, well, you know, the, the great Donald Pleasance played the the president who was captured in. Uh, escape from New York. In this case, it's the president's daughter who the the uh, hero has to go after. And he has to go into this this you know this place full of of criminals. So I guess you know. So the, it's Escape from L.A. There, they stole Escape from L.A. Because Escape from L.A. was essentially that. He went in. He had to. Uh, Kurt Russell went in as Snake. Had to get the president's daughter. Bring her back, who had like a key to a bomb or something like that, and he had they they injected him with a serum where if he doesn't make it out incentive twelve twenty four hours he would die like horribly. So they you stole from Escape from L.A. That's what Lockout you, did here. Well, you know something? I I, I erased <laughs> that sequel from my mind. <laughs> even though, it, even though, even even though it had the great Pam Grimm, Pam Grimm actually follows us on Twitter. She just uh, she follows our show as of last week, and I shot it out to her. So we've got to get, you know, <laughs> she was she was, she had she was instrumental in my manhood. <laughs> oh, I here we go. I, well, I gotta say it like I say it like I see it. Um, so uh, we've got to get her on the show, but she does follow us. But even though she and I was excited when I heard she was a part of that film. That film was a D-rated. It was horrible. Um, I don't know if they would be able to get away with that kind of film right now because of the, of the sensibilities. I know that uh, Sergio talked about, you know, he's kind of semi-semi about comic book films, but even even in this genre, and I'm pretty sure that the great Claire Linnae and of course Daryl B. Um, even in even in this genre, you really can't come up with crap. It's not like it wasn't, a, you know. People expect a certain level of quality in comic book sci-fi films. You you got to come out correct. Um, I'm hearing some bad news about Suicide Squad. I, I don't even want to talk about it, but I'm hearing some things. Yeah. Uh oh. Yeah, I'm not. It's not good. Oh come on, man! It's the one DC movie I'm rooting for. Don't don't do this to me. Well, uh, Tyro Magnus. The YouTube YouTube personality, um, he said that he uh, came across an industry person that had a got a preview, an early screening of Suicide Squad, and he said that that person, that is you know he knows this person well that he's not a screwball, and he's had some pretty pretty untoward words about about Suicide Squad. 
But but mind you, the only saving grace is that Tyrone actually liked B versus S. So I don't know where he's coming in. Oh, he lords over oh here we go. Uh. He lords over B versus S. So I, I have to look, I have to take what he says under advisement. He said that this person was an industry person who knows film, who's intelligent, not a screwball, and he didn't have kind words to say about that anything about that film. <sighs> you see, I, I, I had an, I had a question with a friend of mine, and I, I asked him the other day, why, even though I know he didn't direct Suicide Squad, but why do they keep why do they keep hiring Zack Snyder to do these <laughs> DC films? Because I thought, because the trailer for Justice League looks horrible. Now maybe they made a trailer from what they had available and maybe a later trailer would come out and make it look better but that trailer looked horrible and I said I don't get it. and then the only film that looked worse than that was Guy Ritchie's King Arthur movie oh. you know, another guy who oh. can't direct another guy who can't direct why do they keep hiring these people who can't direct you know this goes back to Claire, Claire Linnae's thing these people are in the system they got it. You know, they keep getting hired no matter how bad the film is, no matter how bad the film flops, they keep getting hired. While talented filmmakers go begging. Look, I, I, I see it now, Cap. We got to warn all the liquor stores in the area because to get through this movie season for the rest of the year, I'm going to need a lot of Jack Daniels and uh, Hennessy. And... um. I don't know how well my reviews are going to be after it, but I I I won't have a coronary looking at these films, man. I, I, I mean, I'm taking it all with a cautious, a cautious amount of salt. Okay, a cautious amount of salt because, listen, 2016, this is just the the beginning. All right, 2016, six major comic book movies, two from each studio. Okay. Two between Marvel, DC, and 20th Century Fox. So we've already gone through four, all right? Deadpool, B versus S, Civil War, Apocalypse. That means two left. So right now we're all kind of, you know, still our standards, obviously, like what you said. Nowadays, the definition of a comic book movie is extremely different from what it was 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago. You know, we're, we, you know, we will either laud over it, we will, we will spend the money, we will talk it up, or, or if you come at us with the Fantastic Four, we will destroy you. We will, dis- we will decimate you online. So with, with all this, this news that we're bombarded with, all these rumors, all these, you know, so-and-so said this, so-and-so said that, listen, we're going to see it anyway. All right. We already have kind of our own preconceived idea or notion of what to expect or what we want to get out of it. The 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 joy of it, the good thing about it is, is that because it is towards the end of the year and we have two movies left, that's there's, there's a reason for that. These are the movies that are, um, are are risks. They are risks. We have never met these characters before. We've never met Suicide Squad before. We've never met Doctor Strange before. These are definitely going to be departures from their core, you know, movie lineup overall. So, you know, we just got to go in with an open mind. We got to go in with an open mind. I mean, again, cautiously 
taking all these these you know word of mouth comments with a grain of salt. I I'll be honest, I'm not dying to see either. Okay? I'm not dying to see these two movies as I was excited for, you know, previous ones that have come out. But but it is what it is. I mean, my question, just because I know that if we don't, if I don't say something, you guys will totally forget. But I, I'd like to know, what, what did you guys think of Star Trek? Uh, I'm about to go there. <laughs> Thank you. Right. Here we go. I have not seen it yet. All right. And I know that, um, that Captain hasn't seen it, but I, I have seen it. I think we're going to have to speak, speak about it. Uh, the Cap will see it when he can. Uh, I, I'll, I'll start off with this. I have to say, I actually liked it. It, it, it had um, glimmers of the original series, I, I must confess. Uh, when you think of, of um, oh, wow, the gentleman who plays uh, Bones. Um, Carl Urban? Carl Urban. Yes, Carl, Carl Urban. I mean, he looks like Bones. I mean, you know, he, he looks like the guy. That helps a lot. He, and he has, like, the personality thing. When... when uh, the the moments that, well, being a fan of the original series, what what made the original series so special was that it was highly cerebral. How it lasted for three years in 1960s television, three years in 1960s television might as well be like a five or six year, seven year series, because the series that we that, that are beloved today, many of these series are on for maybe a, a season or two. The, the, the Adams Family, the Munsters that have been seen over and over again. In syndication forever, Gilligan's Island. Um, they've only they were only on for a couple of seasons. So, uh, with all that cerebral stuff, all the sci-fi talk, there's a, there's the family element between these gentlemen, uh, especially Bones, Bones and Spock, and Kirk. And you, I got a, I got a glimmer of that in this film. I will confess, they had a hip hop moment. The why that was used for the trailer, I, I mean, we see it. We understand because Daryl spoke about this. It made sense for the film. But to have it as a, as a selling point for the film turned me off. It, but it turned me on the way it was used. It was used pretty, pretty interestingly. Well, now you know why I guarded my comments last week when uh, I, can't, I can't go into it. I got it. It would spoil it. But it made sense. But again, like I said, Robotech fans will be pissed because that is an out-and-out rip-off. The only part that I – I mean, this is just a stickler for me. I dug it when they snuck in Fight the Power, right? I mean, that's one of my favorite songs. But it would have been a little bit more bite if they exchanged those the, – the, when they used those, 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 uh, those, those songs. If they used that at the main fight, when they went back to that to that that man-made planet, um, that would have been interesting. They used that. They used the fight the power thing when it was you know the 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 girl um, who was on the pla- you know on that other planet, yeah. and she was the survivor. And they used it, that's when she was used. And I also like the fact that they referred to hip hop as classic music. You know, I thought that was pretty cool because it's the future. In the future, it might be perceived as classic music by that time. Um, I, I, there was elements of it that I liked. There, there are people now weighing in on the Sulu thing, you know, with, with, with John Cho coming in, and you know, it was kind of a, a, a it was intimated that he was with uh, a same-sex relationship. But there's talk about he says I don't get this. 
he says that he that there was that they filmed a, a kiss or an intimate thing, um, and then the studio saying that never happened. So it wouldn't surprise me if it's in the cutting room floor. It would not surprise me that at the last second, you know what? We can't do this. No, no, no. And they they got cold feet on it. But the 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 bright side is, I am pumped. And it's Star Trek tradition. I am pumped to see John Cho get his own starship. Because he handled that like a pro. <laughs> Which is exactly what I was saying to to Astro Nerd. I was very pleased to see that. We saw hints. We saw hints of that commanding presence in Into Darkness. We already saw a little bit of that. But it's nice. It was nice all the hullabaloo. About, oh, my God, what, Sulu's gay? Uh, okay, really, really, when you actually watch the movie, it is so minor. It is so minor. It is not the end-all, be-all. And ultimately, Sulu commands the ship like a boss. All right? He knows his stuff. And, and the great thing about this movie is that at least more so than the, the previous, you know, iteration, which I know people want to freak out and, and call it the worst Star Trek ever. I think y'all overreacting, okay? Calm down. Y'all forgot Star Trek V. Okay, the thing is, is that at least in this, in this movie, everybody gets a chance to shine, okay? Everybody gets, gets a chance to, to, you know, do their thing. Now, for me, it is pretty much what I was hoping for in terms of the knowledge of Justin Lin being the one at the helm. And I have to keep in mind that these guys went through a lot of production hiccups at the beginning, okay? Because originally it was going to be Roberto Orsi directing. He is the executive producer. He's written the previous, you know, Star Trek films. He was going to be directing. This was going to be his directorial debut, and people were freaking out. And a lot of people, this you know, audience like him because he does come off very arrogant. He kind of he kind of just gives middle finger to hardcore uh, Star Trek fans. So they decided, no, we're not going to go with him. Let's go with Justin Lin, who is obviously not known as the Fast and the Furious guy. But I. I'm, I'm with Afro Nerd on this. Honestly, I enjoyed it. I had fun. I really had fun. And frankly, I could watch a whole movie of Bones and Spock. Because those two together, they just crack me up. I love Carl Urban. To me, I mean, you have your thing with, you know, with Pam Greer and, and Terry Hatcher in the show. Well, let me just say. Let me just say that I thought Carl Urban was looking good, okay? That dude, he, he's always been sexy in my mind. And to me, he is the perfect bones. He's got that ornery humor, so well off of Spock. And just, so, you know, I enjoy seeing the crew, you know, split off into teams, you know, going off on these little adventures and then coming back together. I, I, I had fun with it. The visual effects are gorgeous. The visual effects, honestly, speaking of Inception, it does hearken to what you see in Christopher Nolan's, you know, movies because he's that, that director is obsessed with geometrics. If you watch Inception, if you watch Interstellar, you will see that that director is obsessed with geometrics. 
So you see a lot of that in in Beyond with the the artificial, you know, planet, planet space right. station, where everything, you know, is interwoven and loops and curls and folds onto itself, and the center of gravity is also kind of this, um, in a state of flux. I mean, everything about it was 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 great. Was great in terms of the visuals because I was really. I was really hoping to get juiced with, with, you know, what they could come up with that. Um, I thought Idris Elba was okay. Idris Elba was fine. I mean, I ultimately, nowadays, when it comes to these big superhero movies, I think there's a pattern of, of the villain, you know, not really being that interesting. And sometimes I'm actually quite okay with that because, you know, as long as you give me a, a full-fledged story with the main characters, and there is quite a cast of characters here, then that's cool. That's cool, you know? I mean, because you only have one female. You only have one woman in the core cast. What does that mean? You have to offset that other females, like the, the Jada character, you know, and that other woman, you know, at the beginning of the film. I want to give anything away. But well, I, I enjoyed it. I I enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the J, the uh, Jayla character. She she was I looked her, looked up uh, about about that actress from Algeria, Algerian actress, uh, Sophia Butella actually is the actress you're talking about who's playing who played. I, I I was I was hoping that she did not get killed because I said okay, and I was also hoping that she would become a member of of that of that crew. So, I mean, if there's going to be another film, I think there might be another film. Um, I would assume she would be in there. But I like the fact that where she came from and um, what she brought to the role. And uh, it, was, it was like a lot of – I mean, even Chris Pine, like, you know, with the early film, the early films, the first one I actually liked. But I didn't necessarily see um, William Shatner in him. This film, for some reason, everyone I was able to see the other characters from the original series truly in these these actors. I felt they did a very good job at channeling, uh, truly channeling, because you know the, the original series actors were so iconic that it's difficult not to not to channel them in some way. Not that you have to be that, not they have to be exact duplicates, but the ribbing between Bones and Spock. You know, the, you know, like you gotta, you you have, you're watching your girlfriend. You you put a tracer on your girlfriend. I mean, that whole thing was hilarious. I mean, it, that had me I, I think it, was, it was a solid film. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Claire. I'm sorry. No, no, absolutely. I will say that that whole bit, that whole banter, the back and forth, you know, even just Bones' facial expression, you know, that you know, acknowledging that at the end was cracking me up. That whole thing, the whole thing. Oh my God! Oh my God! You're delirious. You're delirious. That was hilarious. When Spock laughed, was funny. <laughs> that you know, you know how that character is. That when, anytime Spock laughed, even when Leonard when Leonard Nimoy laughed, it was crazy. Uh, Daryl, what are your thoughts? Oh, quick, uh, quickly. Uh, like I said, it. it this was one Zachary Quinto, Chris Pont. They all did a great job here. I I often said, uh, and I said it last week too. 
I mean, old-time Star Trek fans who hate this movie, I go like, what did you want? They tried to be brainy in the first two, and you said, oh, it's too over my head. Well, this one gave you the original series. This was less politics and more fists. What what do you want? You hate on this one too. Well, hey, you listen. You got your original series. Everybody's got Blu-rays, DVDs, computer programs. It's I think it's back on Netflix, by the way. So you got all of that. All right. So so there you go. You got yours. Live in the past. There you go. And it's just me as a continue, uh, continuity nerd saying this quickly before we get to the next topic. I, I mentioned that March book two comes out Wednesday. For for Sergio, James Bond eight comes out Wednesday, okay, and and we're going off of what we discussed a couple shows ago. Mycroft Holmes first issue, the handbook comes out Wednesday. That's so Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's project, correct? Exactly. So, folks. You've been told, you've been warned. You can't say now that you listen to the show and you didn't know about these projects. Back to you, Afro-Nerd. I want to move things forward a little bit. You know, there's a, a, a campaign that Marvel has, and this is going off of Chloe, Chloe Bennett, actually, c- coming around full circle. Uh, we're getting kind of wishy-washy answers as to whether uh, the TV properties for Marvel and the film properties are actually intertwined. So they have this hashtag called... It's all connected. And now we're hearing from some of the folks from Marvel, Marvel Brass, they're coming out saying, well, it's not really all connected. So here we go again with what we perceive to be, you know, uh, something that would be matter of fact. Like we would assume that Luke Cage would, would do a walk-on in a Captain America film or an Avengers film or Daredevil. We would, want, we would, we would want to see Daredevil in some capacity if something happens, you know, in, in, in Hell's Kitchen. So now Marvel's kind of saying the logistics are difficult. I mean, all kinds of backpedaling that we, that we heard when uh, Lou D'Esposito said that, well, we can't, do a, we can't do a Black Panther film, and yet it's coming out 2018. So, uh, Daryl, I'm going to have you take lead. What's going on here with this all, It's All Connected hashtag? The problem with you guys saying this, the problem with that hashtag and all of that is there's two things in life. There's words and there's actions, okay? It's all great to say it, but your actions keep on belaying what you've said. Like the, right before the It's All Connected thing, they did that photo op in San Diego Comic-Con. They did that photo op with all the ladies from the movies. And I went like, you just proved Chloe Bennett right. And I had a couple of Marvel fans take me up on it, and I'm like, you want to tell me it's all connected at the same time, but Ming-Na, Chloe Bennett, and Elizabeth Henstridge are just down the hall since the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. panel was taking place at the same time as that panel. So you couldn't go down there, grab those three actresses, and put them in the picture too? I'm, I'm just saying, you're the ones that went on the limb saying, it's all connected. Folks on TV, folks in film, folks on Netflix, we're all crossing over. Oh, you are? I didn't see a Netflix actress in that picture. 
I certainly as hell didn't see any of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. actresses in that picture. You guys are Marvel. You guys are Disney. I think you could schedule a combined photo op, could you? You know? But, hey, you want to hit me with it's all connected. That's, that's about just as much smoke as DC was giving me about damn Batman Superman. And I blew that up. Marvel, you're in my crosshairs. You want to go out on this limb? Well, get ready. Your, your thoughts and your statements are now out there. Remember, it's the digital age. It's the social age. Nothing ever dies. You best believe I'll be looking for this in the next coming years. Good luck to that, because you guys already know how my mouth is. Back to you, Afrinerd. Now, to be more spe- even more specific, uh, Jeff Loeb, who's the head of Marvel TV, uh, he, it's really his words that seem to be more on this backpedaling thing. And again, we're only going by what was said to the audience going back quite some time. This all-connected thing was their, their tagline. It was their way of, of advertising or, or promoting the Marvel Universe. And now they're saying that it's not really all-connected. But this is from – I want to read what Jeff Loeb says specifically. Um, he says, I can tell you that part of the challenge of doing this sort of thing – is that the movies are planned planned out years in advance of what it is that we are doing. Television moves at an incredible speed. The other part of the problem is that when you stop and think about it, if I'm shooting a television series and that's, and that's going to go on over a six-month or eight-month period, how am I going to get Mike Coulter to be able to go to, to be in a movie? Uh, you see what he says? He says, I need... What he says, All I'm here is excuses. <laughs> okay, I need Mike to be in a television show. So, I mean, yeah. Did, didn't you guys just do Agents of Shield with uh oh, what's her name that that's in Blind Spot? Jamie Alexander. You did Jamie Alexander on an Agents of Shield episode while she was filming the second Thor movie. Listen, you you can't be a multi-billion corporation and hit me with logistics when I just dig saw you pull this off. <laughs> Captain, yeah, they want both sides of this. They want their cake and eat it too. They're not getting it. Once you make the statement in public, there are going to be obsessive blurs like me, obsessive nerds like all of us, that will remember that you fool said it. There's more here. Let me go into this quickly. There's more. Any, oh, God. There's more from Jeff Lowe. Anything is possible. As I often get reported by you folks by, for saying it's all connected, our feeling is that the connection isn't just whether or not somebody is walking into a movie or walking out of a television show. It's connected in the way that the shows come from the same place, that they are real, that they are grounded. We have seen some characters that have appeared and crossed over. Most notably, one of our cast members that isn't here because she's working is Rosaria Dawson, who continues the character of Claire, of Claire Temple. So the short answer is we are already doing it. The, the long answer is as things go by, as the stories dictate it, uh, we've always, always been big fans of providing Easter eggs for our fans, but we never want to be known as an Easter egg factory. Uh, it has to work within the story. 
we never want to do Luke Cage gets into a cab as Foggy Nelson and Matt Murdock are getting out of the cab. For those of you that are old enough to know this reference, it's not when the man from UNCLE was on Please Don't Eat the Daisies. You actually get to see our characters interact with each other. I don't know. Claire, what are your thoughts about this? We know that Chloe Bennett kind of spoke out about this. Um, you know, I, even even the actors were under the impression this was the case. That this was the case. So it's not like like you know what Jeff is saying is. I mean, you know, he, he's being a little disingenuous, I believe. Well, I mean, I think he's making a good point, though. I mean, to be fair, the scheduling and the. Um, and the logistics of production are extremely different between film and television. That is true. That is true. But in terms of um, in terms of what Chloe Bennett is saying, in terms of what many fans are expressing, in terms of their you know, the, uh, the the crossover, the lack of the frustration, you set up this whole platform of you know it's all connected. It's all connected. Well, technically, yes, it is. It's connected in the sense of the source material and referencing things of the other, constantly referencing such and such, because you all supposedly live in that same world. You know, you all know who Thor is. You all know who Captain America is and Hulk and Iron Man and whatnot. Now, it's a, it might be a little weird that, you know, Matt Murdock and Jessica Jones and Luke Cage live just down the street from each other and don't seem to know who each other are. But, hey, hey, it's all right. It's all right. Pretty soon we're all going to get them together on the Defenders. Now, in terms of an article I read about why Netflix chose not to rescue Agent Carter, even though there was a petition and many fans that were hoping and praying that it would, it's not because they don't see the creative value of it. It's not because they're not interested. It's because, again, it's, just, it's business. Contractually speaking, they already have an agreement with Marvel, as I said earlier, to you know, release two shows per year. Okay? So 2017, it'll be Defenders and Iron Fist. And 2018, maybe, maybe, will be season three of Daredevil, season two of Jessica Jones. Maybe. That will change. It has to change because they keep expanding the slate. You keep adding more and more and more. So you've already got the four characters. Now you also want to have a Punisher series. So when is he going to get into the mix? After what we saw, that performance in uh, this previous season of Daredevil, we are itching to see more of John Bernthal. So, of course, that's going to change. And my whole point is, is that while they started initially with this whole idea back in 2008, 2009 of building a franchise, you know, with the crossovers, with the cinematic universe, while that was the premise, the basis for which they've built their foundation, I get what he's saying. I understand where he's coming from. It is extremely challenging to merge the two between film and television. And on top of that, it is extremely difficult to merge separate entities such as network television like ABC and streaming, you know, Netflix. It, it, it's just these are all these are different entities, different pieces, all moving parts that you have to keep track of. You know, some things can sync up and align 
and other things just can't. So I get what he's saying in terms of the logistics. And we're coming up on, you know, pretty soon, pretty soon. By By the time Black Panther comes out, this whole... This whole Marvel thing, this whole Marvel Cinematic Universe will be reaching its 10-year anniversary in terms of when it truly started, okay? So I understand that not everything is going to be able to be the same as from when they originally, you know, built this from the ground up. I, I understand that. I get that. My thing is don't act as though, oh, yeah, no, we're still doing it. We're still exactly how we we promised we would be in terms of the shared universe and the crossovers and the this and that and the other. I'd rather you just be real. Just be honest about the situation, okay? Because ultimately what's happening is is that the initial, um, what do you call it, mission statement, the mission statement for when Marvel first began, of course it's going to alter over time. That's just business. Things are going to change, especially when you keep expanding. So don't keep promising crossovers when you know feasibly it might not be that simple. And just like DC, DC was like, oh, everything's separate. Everything is separate. Keep everything apart. Nothing will be shared. Yeah, but look what you're doing. You have four television shows four television shows back to back to back to back that will now share a universe. We call it the Berlantiverse. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Come December, you will have a four-show crossover between Supergirl, Flash, Arrow, Legends of Tomorrow. So now you guys are backtracking on your promise to keep everything separate. Everything must be kept apart. No shared universe. Well, they went back on their word with that because why? Things change. When you expand, the business model will alter. It will be modified. That's okay. Just be honest. Don't keep promises that you, you know, have no intention of maintaining. I got to mention this. You know, when you when uh, you mentioned John Berthal, Bernthal as the Punisher. I, I would have a hard time believing they can't get that guy to, come, to do a walk-on on something. That character alone is so compelling, and the badassery that he brought to that role, that if you see him in that black leather, leather jacket and that, that infamous skull logo, and you bring him in, the audience would erupt. It would, be, it would go, I mean, it's almost, I don't see how you're going to get around. I mean, some of these actors are so, and the characters are so compelling on Netflix. But I'm, you know, hey, we, we we will see. Now you mentioned the CW. Um, we got a chance to check out Tyler Hoechlin as Soups, the Big Cheese. No, that's, that's a different guy. Who's the Big Big Cheese? Is uh, Shazam, um, the Boy Scout. Uh, I saw other pictures of him. They looked he looked a little bit more like Superman. But what are your thoughts about? You know, he's definitely no. Um, uh, why am I forgetting names now? Jesus, from from the the, the the Superman that we know, Christopher Reeve. No, no, now you forget. You went too far. Brandon Rouse. Brandon Rouse. No, <laughs> the, the Superman's present Tom, day. Tom Welling. Now, why are we bypassing the guy? <laughs> we're, we're clowning with Henry you. Henry Cavill. Dean Cain. Cavill. 
Henry Cavill. <laughs> You're like, Henry why Cabell, are you skipping him? Why are you skipping Daly. the guy? No, listen. Henry Cavill, <laughs> physically, you have to give him give him props. He looks like Superman. We can talk about well. I can't even take anything away from the guy's acting. He's just been in the. He just. It, it, we'll see what happens later on. But I don't have any problems with him personally or what he brings to the role. He's one of the the most impressive looking Superman that we've seen, as far as looking like the guy in the comic book. So now we have this Tyler Hoechlin guy. He is not Henry Cavill, in my opinion, at least physically. Well, that's why Henry. Him. That's why Henry is in the movie, and Tyler is on the TV show. Listen, I understand all that. Well, you need to look like something in that. I mean, even even um, well, even the other way, even Dean Cain, for some reason, he didn't. He did not. I, I, we're going back into the '90s. I didn't think he did not look like Superman to me. I don't know. Well, maybe, that was a departure. Ex- that was a complete departure. Yeah. I mean, Dean Cain kind of brings this other, this whole other look. He's a little more exotic. But that was completely different. That wasn't really meant to be hardcore comic book fare. Uh, well, it, it actually, you know, that's, that's about the time where, when Lois and Clark did get married. So some of that stuff was, was kind of mixed in there. But um, I don't know what to think about about what they're doing here. Uh, what are your thoughts about it, Daryl? Hey, we, we. What did they tell us? We're not going to see Superman on this. We're going to keep this separate. We're not going to see Superman on this. Okay, hogwash. We're going to bring in Superman. You know, just because. Hey. Supergirl's in a separate universe. Hogwash, we're going to bring it in here. Talking out of both sides of your mouth. That's why whenever they make a, a statement out ahead, we're not going to, we're not. We're, are you sure you want to make that de- a definite statement to comic book fans? You are making a definite statement to comic book and superhero fans. Realize when it blows up in your face, we're going to be on you. And guess what? This has blown up in their faces. So now we got Superman here. All right. I don't know the dude. Let's see how he acts. That's it. Well, well you know, we were introduced to him as a child actor for uh, Road to Perdition, which was a heavyweight film with uh, one of the last films that Paul Newman did. Uh, Paul Newman and it. Tom Hanks. So, I'm sorry? I never saw it. Well, excellent film. Uh, you know, next level. Um, again, based on a comic book, but not a comic book movie in that way. But, um, you know, it's, it's basically, I'll just say quickly, Tom Hanks plays a a family man that on the outside looks looks to be like anybody else, like a normal family dude, but he really is an assassin for the mob. And his son, played by... Tyler Hoechlin as a child or as a you know 12 or 13 year old um, he follows his follows his father if I remember correctly and he finds out what his father really does and um, you know it's, it's a very good film so he comes from a certain heft and I, I like what he did on um, on Teen Wolf but I guess they're kind of keeping him in that same realm as far as being in sci-fi fantasy. Um, I'm just curious this, as to this is, this is the CW, okay? This is the CW. 
they all have to, let's just, come on, let's face it, they got to look pretty, okay? Mm. They got to look a certain way. You know, for the longest time, even, even you know, especially before they uh, turned into CW and it was a WB, I mean, let's face it, these folks, these folks, Smallville, Supernatural, you know, um, back in the day, you know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, I mean, these folks, they all have to look a certain way, like straight out of an Abercrombie and Stitch catalog. So it's not necessarily going to bring that same heft, you know, that same, that same visual look, you know, as you would need to command, you know, the presence necessary for, for the, the big screen, you know, for the silver screen. Now, you know, I, I don't know I, much about this guy, but then again, to be fair, I don't really know much about Henry Cavill. He has the look, no doubt, no doubt. He has the look, the physicality. But, you know, I'm not going to say anything about B versus S. I'm just going to say that I really feel that Superman, you know, got the short end of the stick. I didn't really get to see Superman. I didn't really get to see much of him, you know? Yeah, well, you know, I, I guess maybe we, we've been spoiled because of how good Flash is. And, and I somewhat lament the new Flash that's going to be uh, in cinemas. Uh, it's, it, it, I, would, I wouldn't doubt that the quality of the Flash TV show is influencing. The, that's something else we really didn't speak about too much. Um, the fact that they have a, an actress of color to play Iris, and this is this is coming really kind of from the, the the demands of the fans that are used to seeing Iris in a certain way. I mean, I, I'm I'm even wondering if this even should it should affect the print version of of Flash because some of the stuff is starting to bleed on top of each other, and um, I suspect they might make changes in print because you know, Daryl, you can speak about this. Um, they they've made implications. They've made Im- implications about this, as far as the audience that looks at the at the at the movies, that if they're going to make a segue into the print, that they want things to be somewhat in unison. So, Daryl, what are your thoughts about that? Uh, Iris for Barry. Uh, uh, honestly, I throw my hands up on it. I, I throw my hands up on it because think about it. We got two Wally Wests running around. So, hey, what the hell? Make Iris black. Uh, yeah. Or, hey, if there's two Wallys running around, you know, could there possibly be two Irises? You you never know. I'm hey, hey, I'm just looking at it classic versus new fan here. You know, and and they've opened up themselves where all the worlds with convergence and stuff is now put into play at the end of the the dark side war. Every that's what caused rebirth. So everything's put into play again. So it would be it would be idiotic of me to say no, they can't do that. No, it's impossible because we see it on TV. They they have a line of comics based on the CW shows. So, or at least a line of limited series where they've done the CW shows. So, uh, I wouldn't be offhand against it, but but I will tell you there will be guys that that will will treat it like you're killing a child. We've seen it before, and we'll see it again. 
<laughs> no matter how popular Iris West is with Ebon skin, they will be the mentality. Iris has always been white. Tell you that straight out. Back to your afternoon. What? All right. Claire, are you on your new line, your other line? Um, I can switch over if you'd like. No, I, I, I see it on the board. Are you on the new? Are you on your new line? No, no, I'm still here. Okay, okay, all right. Uh, well, I get, we have a caller three two three from your neck of the woods. Welcome to the Grindhouse. Tell us who you are and where you're calling from. Hello. Yes. Okay. Tell us who you. Tell us who you are and where you're calling from. What's up? Hello? All right. Okay. Yeah. I try. Wasn't ready. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, we got about 15 minutes remaining. I, I do want to touch on something else that uh, I think might actually raise our, our ire again. You know, um, Daryl, you, you are aware, obviously, that they hired – three black female writers for World of Wakanda, or I think that's what, is that what Marvel hired three people all for the same book? Is that correct? Yes. Two female writers, a female Richardson, and I forget the name of the other artist, but it's going to be a black female helmed series. And uh, DC hired one black female, which I think makes them even now. They're kind of competing with each other as far as talent of color behind the scenes. Well, uh, we'll we'll see. It's not going. It's not DC's first go around with it. They hired uh, McDuffie's wife, whose name escapes me, to do Titans right before uh, the New Fifty Two happened. So it isn't DC's first go around. It is, however, Marvel's first go around with female ridership. Well, according to Bleeding Cool, UK's BleedingCool.com website, uh, it says, as of December, DC Comics will have hired just as many black female writers as Marvel. So they're making that, I guess, as a notation. Um, the writer in general uh, in, uh, uh, that we're talking about is Vita Ayala. Ugh, if I can pronounce the last name. Vita Ayala. Ugh. Uh, and she has a book called Our Work Fills the Pews. Our world oh. fills the pews. Okay, yeah, well, like, just like with Miss Gay, Miss Ayala, I gotta see well, how she writes. I gotta see how she handles. Because to me, I, it, she's more unknown than Gay was. I knew of Gay from from other media. All right, I don't know how she is going to be writing a comic book. But again, that's. I gotta wait to see. Remember, I was a little apprehensive about Tainahasi Coates writing a comic book, but he earned his stripes. You know, I knew he was a comic book fan, but just knowing that you're a comic book fan does not make you a good comic book writer. So, like I said, I gotta see how the, how the how they write it. I gotta see what character she's doing. I gotta see, you know, there's there's a bunch of factors here. Before I could rubber stamp it, yes, it's a victory. No, no, it's not. I gotta see it. It's gotta be quality, because if it's not quality, then we're hamstrung for another five to ten years. Well, t- to be fair, I'm gonna have to look into this thing. Uh, our work fills the pews, 
is a Black Mask comic. So I guess it's coming out. Is Black Mask an independent comic book, or is that like an imprint? I think that's an independent line. Well, anyway, it says, uh, just just for our audience, our um, our work fills the pews. Is It's a dystopic deal. It says, in the dark future of our work fills the pews, the rise of fundamentalist groups and hardline political leaders has led America to a culture war it was not prepared for. When the dust settled, America had, had placed its own citizens in internment camps for the first time in 80 years, camps for subversives, homosexuals, Muslims, Jews, the poor, the mentally ill. But the largest camps with the highest population of prisoners are the breeding camps where the women are held. Marcus, a gay black man, is a bounty hunter. He can stay, stay out of the camps as long as he hunts down and arrests escapees. But he finds his conscience and his purpose when he comes upon an eight-year-old sojourner and vows to sneak her across the border or die trying. These people are opting for movie deals, I'll tell you right now. <laughs> that's what, that's uh, what okay, is. so essentially that was The Prisoner Meets Crossed by way of uh, Magneto from X-Men and, uh, and Martha Washington. <laughs> that is a lot to fit into a book. All right, I got to do research on this now. Well, that, that, yeah, well, that might be why she got the gig. And I'm going to mention this real quick also. It said, oh, did I? Oh, yeah, it says, uh, uh, it says yesterday, yesterday Bleeding Cool ran the story that with one upcoming comic book, Marvel Comics had gone from employing no black female comic book writers on their comics in their entire history, wow, to three with World of Wakanda number one and leapfrogging DC Comics, who had only ever employed two. It was partially an ex- exercise to show that with such low numbers, even such a small move could have, could have such ridiculously statistical effects across Marvel and DC's 75-year history. This is the part that just, it's something about that that just really breaks my heart. It, no, that, it sounds condescending. It really does sound, listen, folks, Hey, hey, newsflash, Marvel, DC, newsflash, okay? I don't know if you guys walk into comic shops on Wednesday when new comic book day happens, all right? It's no longer Lily White in there. It's no longer just male, all right? You walk walk into, I will say, Midtown Comics, Manhattan. You walk into Jim Hanley's, Manhattan. You walk into Brooklyn Comics. You walk into uh, Superhero Comics. You walk into, uh, I'm I'm just uh, using names as a point here because they're all comic book shops I visit. There's brown people. There's yellow people. There's women. There's children. It's a multi-varied set, all right? And, and, and you're not just playing to one audience anymore, okay? That's the problem I have with Bleeding Cool articles sometimes. They make it sound like, oh, oh, my God, this is revelatory. Oh, I'm shocked. Excuse me. I go into the comic shop every week. I've been doing that. For off and on for oh thirty years of my life, I have seen the differences in the shop where I'm not just the only black dude in there. I've actually had to talk to females in the comic shop. I never thought ten year old me would ever be able to do that. I know there's a growing new movement out there, 
The problem is, why is it that these guys always sound so shocked that there's a new fan base or fan bases? <laughs> like, congratulations, DC. I already knew you had black female writers before. All right? Hell, you had Milestone. <laughs> you know, hey, I, it, it's not a shocking thing. Hey, black females can write too. <laughs> You know, yeah, hit me with something new, all right? Now, the problem is you need quality, all right? Don't just stick don't don't static shock this woman. Don't don't freaking Mr. Terrific this woman. Don't hey, don't cyborg this woman. All right? If she's got a tail for a year, let her have her with a stable art team and let her have the 10 to 12 issues to tell her tale and let's see what happens. Don't undercut her. But I'm asking for too much, right? Now, there's a second half of this also. It's it's tangentially related. Um, The Mary Sue website also, I see our friend John uh, Hutton, he says that um, diversity is cool, but why why is there a score sheet? That's weird. Well, oh, there's always been a score sheet. <laughs> there's always been a score sheet, and uh, unfortunately, when you see DC and Marvel battling over this, this may be to our benefit. Unfor- unfortunately, unfortunately, but the Mary Sue website has uh, something that I guess is connected. There's a hash- another hashtag campaign. Hashtag Black Speculative Fiction. Bla- uh, hashtag Black Spec Fic. It's a study sharing st- staggering statistics exposing racism in publishing and speculative fiction. So here we go again with a study and with a study and the analytics to show just how low folks of color uh, how low folks of color are, are involved, the low numbers that are involved in publishing. But we, I mean, like, we kind of sort of know this already. Well, hell, all all you need to know, all right? And I've talked to Bison about not this. Hi- Let me finish my point. Oh, go ahead. They're, they're not they're not getting higher, and they're, they're saying that you know for let's say let's say in the case of black folk, you're talking about 13 percent of the population, and it comes when it comes down to the to the hiring for these jobs, it's not, it's at about one percent or something ridiculous like that. So now we're getting people with their with their analytics. You have studies on this now. Is becoming an embarrassment, but this is a long time thing. Since when have we not seen people? And that's the reason why you're able to have the Great Wall come out because there's no there's no people of color really aside from this director, which I think he was getting his M Night Shyamalan going on. I, I, I said it that you know if you don't have enough people in the foundation of the of these projects, they're going to go the way that they go. Go ahead, Daryl. Well, like I said, I've talked to Bison about it. I've talked to Black Ronin about it. I've talked to various people from Black Girl Nerds and 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 and, and other podcasts like like Black Tribbles and all of that. Look, Octavia Butler has written some of the best sci-fi in the last twenty-five years, and yet, have you seen one TV show for her? Yeah. Have yeah, you you're seen right. one film from her? You know, there are hack spy-fi guys that get their films like every year, every two years you get from them, all right? But Octavia Butler has at least five, five great, great stories that would be awesome to see on screen. 
and no one gives her a sniff. So that story, hey, 100% true. Why? Because I see it right now. Yeah, there, there's a bunch of sci-fi trash, and I, I'm on record on the show saying I love watching bad movies just because, hey, there's nothing better than to sit down with a thing of popcorn and make fun of movies on screen a la Mystery Science Theater 3000. But, and this is where I, I aim the thing at BT, I aim the thing at other black stations and other black people, high opera, that have the capital that could fund some of these. You have a lot a lot of underground black writers, and in Octavia Butler's case, uh, a high-profile black writer that just need a chance to get a script developed. Use your connections to help open the door and, and, and get them to other people to show that we are just not one note here. But again, you know what? That's screaming into the wind, right? That is. Yeah. She she isn't popular, but we'll give Eli Roth an unlimited bank account. She's not popular, but hey, 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 Zack Snyder still has work. <sighs> I'm good. I'm good. I'm calm. Back to you, Afrinard. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Octavia Butler because she is really it was a well-known prolific writer. She died rather tragically, uh, I guess maybe eight or nine years ago, uh, maybe ten years ago, I think now. But um, I think I mean there's I think there's some stuff coming out now. Just now they might be opting for for TV or movies. Um, the, her her book The Dawn, I think Dawn might be being developed. Kindred is one of her more famous ones. Kindred's that, one that could of, be that could be like freaking what the strain is. Kindred could be like True Blood. Matter of fact, I will say it, and and people will hate me. Kindred is ten times better than True Blood. I couldn't read True Blood. Is the Stooky Stackhouse? Oh, oh, God. Kill me. Anyway, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I, I, this is why I said I needed tranquilizers before we began this show. I'm good. Back to you, Afrin. All right. We've got about three minutes remaining. I'm, I'm pretty sure Claire's all tuckered out with this race talk because <laughs> it, 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 it's a, it's a never-ending, you know, abysmal numbers. They're just starting to hire people, and you know, listen. I get uh, all of us are getting uh, tweet links, Twitter links of phenomenal artists. I'm like, I'm looking at these some of the artwork from folks. I'm like, how can this person not have a gig at Marvel or DC or Image? I mean, some of the artwork we're looking at, Claire. I know you sent me some links of people that could really throw down. Like, how can these people not have a deal? And then some of the books that I'm reading, the artwork looks like crap. I mean, what's going on? I mean, that that part is what really bothers me the most is that you know you just can't hire people just because of their race. But when you have people who happen to be of color and they're extremely talented, where you would figure, figure this is a no-brainer. I mean, you just can't you just can't waste talent. But then again, it may, I, I'm just speaking to the to the choir, I guess. Any thoughts, Claire, as we close shop? I mean. It's what what do they say? What's that expression? It is what it is. I have to, I, it is what it is. I have I have to laugh to keep from crying. Yeah. I mean that's that's what I that's this whole the theme of this today's show. Today's show and honestly when I first you know sent that link to some people, I was just kind of you know numb. I was like here it is, Great Wall of China, Matt Damon. I'm sending this. Linked to friends as a as a joke 
to be funny because I'm, I'm, I was just numb. Like, is this, is this really happening again? I mean, really. But when you get into the nitty-gritty of it, like I said, like I said, it is so depressing. It is so depressing. When white friends, they're like, yeah, and what? I'm like, okay, all right. You don't care. It's not your battle. I understand. But I, I just, it crushes my spirit when people of color resigned to accepting that this is the way it is it just crushes me and like what you're talking about right now it's from zero black female writers to three and all the throw a party in 75 years mind you I'm just like no we have work to do we have a ways to go we can't we can't rest on and our laurels yet. We're just getting started. And listen, let me tell you, we spoke about this before. This whole re 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 Rihanna re 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 we can we can we can give props to Bendis, I guess, on some level for creating that character. But on some level, you need to have a black female millennial write the damn character. I think for it to have some authenticity, but you know, Daryl, we talk about this, and he said, well, you know, Bendis is, is creative and this, that, and the other, but I, I don't know. Something about, it, 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 something about it is, is disrespectful. Well, I, I'll, say it like, I'll say it like this, okay? He can only go so far, okay? There was a great, uh, a great uh, stream of thought on Twitter earlier where uh, a, a Latin female fan took uh took umbrage with how Bendis per, uh, has portrayed Morales' family. And I go like, you know what? That's a good point too because Bendis isn't black. Bendis isn't uh, Latino. Bendis certainly isn't Afro-Latino. So there's only so far he can go with it without having a writer of that heritage there or at least consult to get everything right. All right, so you know what? It is a valid. It is a valid concern. I trust them, yes, but I'm not going to give him blind trust. <laughs> you know, if he's going to mess up, if he's going to have a debate point, hey, we're going to do it on this show. You guys know we don't hold our opinions back. Back to you, Alfred. Well, it's after the podcast, <laughs> so we've already closed shop. Actually, uh, as always, our listening audience. Sometimes we go, we get passionate, and we go after. The clock has ticked, but um, it, this stuff has to stop because it's 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 annoying, and we all want some level of authenticity for, for this hobby that we all know and love. And you know, when Claire talked about when she repeated the Great Wall of China, I mean, just her talking about it, you know, it, it is the Great Wall of China. I mean, everyone knows it knows this as a global, um, a, a, a global. Architecture that we've that we we just, it's been talked about for thousands of years. It's something that it's kind of laughable that you have this that you have Matt Damon doing some super heroics over this thing. I mean, it, it's something about it is offensive beyond recognition, and and it's 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 offensive and it's it's comical when it, when when the movie's put out there to be kind of taken seriously. It's gotten to the point now where not only is it is it off putting but it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing to to Matt Damon, and I don't think he even knows it. Just the, the, just the fact that that the discussion he had at that Greenlight um, documentary or Greenlight series, and he's going on and on and on. 
He's so caught up in the bubble, and he's the liberal. He's the liberal, caught in the bubble, does not get it. And the fact that he was a participant in that film still doesn't get it. That's how deep this rabbit hole goes. Anyway, um, folks, as always, we appreciate the support of Claire Linnae, the great Daryl B, and, of course, uh, the captain he had to leave. We're going to close out. We'll do this again. We'll try to pick up the spirits next week. We'll, we'll figure out something. Let's start focusing on some some actual wins. <laughs> we well, got to like, win at some point. Well, well, like I said, folks, check out The Deep on Netflix, all right? Animated fair for younger uh, multiracial family that explores the oceans, all right? Mycroft Holmes next week, all right? March next week. So, hey, like I said, can't say I didn't tell you. On that note, this is already there. Thundercat featuring Robert Glasper. It's been real, folks. Wednesday, 7.30. Thanks, folks. Thank you.